So I picked up this book uh, called Beit Aharon on the Passover Haggadah, and it turns out to be the Karliner Rebbe, um, who is the uh, Aron of Karlin II. Uh, he he was one of the uh, students of Arlene, Aron the Great, which was a great, one of the really first uh, rabbis in the Hasidic movement, a student um, of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid of Mezrich, which is a famous um, Kabbalistic, spiritual, pietistic movement of the, the late 1700s. Um, and he was a uh, a, a rabbi of this dynasty called the Karliner movement or, or Karline Stolin. Uh, and a uh, really beautiful um, rabbi, beautiful spiritual rabbi. And, and some of you I know are seeing Hasidut for the first time or the Hasidic perspective um, on, on Jewish text for the first time. So I'll also do some more explaining than I might might before. But I think uh, we'll get the hang of it. Um, and as, as I studied more and more Hasidic text and... Uh, Kind of looked inwards even to uh, Kabbalah, which is um, kind of its its source, uh, the the source of its movement. Um, I really get was able to actually understand a lot of this commentary, and uh, it really became very meaningful to me. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try to explain it, and also partly why I'm doing this is because I'm actually going to try to translate it. So I've been working. Since, since because of the coronavirus and, and the outbreak that's been going on, I, I sort of gave myself a project to do at home that I can do inside, and that's translation. So I'm translating the text from the Hebrew, uh, and, and this is kind of where I've gotten so far, um, and uh, I will keep uh, translating, and I guess the more I teach, the more I'll be able to translate. So uh, that's that, that kind of helps in that regard. Um, and of course, those who are on Zoom can see uh, the translation. And you should be able to see the translation in front of you. Uh, but those on Facebook uh, Live can also uh, message me on Facebook, and I can also get uh, I can get you a copy of the text if you want to follow along as well. Uh, so just let me know, and of course, I can I will hopefully publish it or send it out at some point, and then we can all um, we can all learn from it together. Hopefully, with some kind of explanatory commentary for it. it certainly needs that for those who are new to Hasidut um, so let's let's kind of jump right in um, the, the reason I think that that we need this commentary right now um, is the 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 hard thought I think that many of us are going through that this might be our first Passover alone um, maybe with our significant other maybe with um, ourselves alone uh, you know, and, and, you know, I was thinking, I said to myself, okay, well, it's one thing not to have Passover with our congregation this year at a communal Seder. That's really hard. But then I was realizing, wow, it's probably not a good idea to have it with my, my family, my parents either, you know, uh, just in case I'm sick or just in case the pass is on, God forbid, or, or to travel somewhere to, 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 to have the Seder with, with family. It might be safe just to do it, uh, just myself and my wife, which will be special in my baby Hadassah. But um, not the same as having all the family here. And I think many of us gain meaning to our Passover because of our family. Like like Passover means family for many of us. Uh, and so I think this year, more than other years, more of us are going to have to turn inwards and to discover um, our own feelings about um, our own spirituality within the text. And that's what Hasidut does. Is it kind of looks at the text in a psychological perspective and looks inward at the text to try to understand um, in a deep way uh, 
what the inner spiritual meaning to the individual practitioner of Judaism, of someone who is trying to come closer to God, uh, should should think and should should learn uh, from the text. In doing so, hopefully it makes the Haggadah and the Passover experience a, a really spiritual experience that helps us discover things about ourselves and, and ultimately bring us closer to God, uh, as, as uh, Rabbi Aaron of Carlene will explain. All right, so let's let's jump in. Uh, he starts right at the beginning of the Magid section, and we're going to look at this comment today called Ha Lachma Anya Diachlu. So this is this is the beginning of the Magid section. There are different sections of the Haggadah of Pesach, of course, and really the the major I would say the main step of of the Passover Seder. Although may, many people think it's like eating, right? <laughs> but uh, the 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 major section is the Magid, which is the time we tell the story. We supposedly tell the story of the Passover story, and so that's really the majority of what the commentary is on is on the Magid section, and, and the Haggadah text. You can I can speak about this for a long time. I'm not going to, but it's a it's a very very old text um, from rabbinic times. You know, you know, two thousand years maybe around ago. Obviously, it developed and accreted over time. Things got added on, but it's a very old text, and so there are many great commentaries on it, and there's a lot to learn from it. Uh, lots of wisdom buried within the text. Uh, so we're going to learn from it today, and, and this is one of those commentaries. So the first words in the Magid section, the storytelling section, is Ha-Lachma Anya Di-Achlu Avdahana Ba'ara Dimitzrayim. Right? This this is when the, the Seder person holds up the bread and says, This is the bread of, of our ancestors, the bread of poverty that they ate. The, the, you know, in some Seders and some Haggadot, they translate the poor man's bread that they ate in the land of Egypt. Uh, and so we're going to, and then and then it goes on to say, all those who are hungry, all those who are oppressed, come and eat, right? Anything that anybody who is needy, come to celebrate Passover. Now and forever, right? This year and in the future, in this year here, but next year in the land of Israel. Now we are servants, next year we are free people. And the idea in general uh, is that, you know, we should picture us uh, ourselves as slaves, like, and, and really as servants, and that the idea is that we're going to need to free ourselves of something, that we weren't slaves once, we weren't slaves 2,000 years ago, but we are our slaves right now. And every year on Passover, we have to figure out something that we need to free ourselves from. And, and I think... Rabbi Aaron of Carlin will be going based on that implication that we understand that we need to understand that we are slaves in every generation somehow. All right, so I'm going to continue on. Usually if we were in live class, I would have someone read the text um, and then we talk about it, but I'm going to read and talk about it just because we're on this digital experience here. So this bread of poverty. So Rabbi Aaron of Carlin wrote, uh, we have already spoken many times what the letter Hey is. Now, uh, Rabbi Aaron of Carlin writes like you're already a Kabbalist, that you already understand Kabbalistic symbolism, which is why this is a very difficult text to study if you, you're, you're kind of uninitiated. So I will help initiate for you, uh, you into, um, into, the, into the Kabbalah here for a little bit. So a little uh, teal into the pardes, as they might say, um, and, and see what we can learn out of this. So... I'm just going to write a little bit. So God's name, right, the, the Tetragrammaton, right, is Yud. Does everyone see what I'm writing? Yeah? We see what yep. I'm writing? Good. Yes. Yep. Good. So Yud, hey, right, 
Actually, right, Yud K, that's a hey. I just don't want to write God's name out, right? Yud K, um, Vav K, right? So that's that's Yud K, Vav K, right? Four letters, right? Um, when he's talking, and he says, we have spoken many times about the letter hey, the hey that he's talking about is, is, I'm sorry, my keyboard's a little messed up. I'm writing in Hebrew too much. This one, right? The last letter hey of the of the tetragrammaton. In in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism, these letters are, are significant uh, and actually stand for something. And obviously they stand for a lot of things, but one of the, the most common ways that they're seen is they are seen as certain different Sifi wrote or different manifestations of godliness within the world. The great Kabbalists believed that the, the 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 that God manifests God's self in different ways throughout the world. That God starts at the most infinite point, the most transcendent existence that is basically indescribable, right? And all the way down to our existence today, right? And I'm not going to go through what each of the letters mean because you know that would take us too long. But but we're gonna. It's a good, definitely good for another day. But the last hey at least stands for malchut, right? Sorry, malchut, which means dominion in Hebrew. But it really stands for the shechinah, right? The shechinah. Has anyone heard of something called the shechinah before? Yeah. Right. So the shechinah is the indwelling presence of God. It's the God we experience in our own world. It's the God we experience in our heart, um, the spirit of God that is within everything. And in, in some ways, the only um, manifestation of God that is truly with us at all times. The, the Shekhinah is kind of bound to the Jewish people, and it's the most manifest presence of God within the world, in this limited world in which we live in. Right? We're, we're limited by time, we're limited by space. And since God is above all limitations, beyond all of those things of time and space, right? God kind of lives outside of what we would term usually existence, right? Uh, that God is outside of those things. God has to constrict God's self in, 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 and make God let him, God's self less powerful in order to manifest within our existence in some way, in some form. And that's what we get is the Shekhinah, is the feminine indwelling presence of God within our lives. Okay? That's Malchut Shekhinah. Okay? okay? Everyone got it so far? I you know it gets a little complicated, but I'm going to try to explain. So if you have a question, you can always ask. Okay? Um, so... He said, we have already spoken many times what the letter He is, right? It is known that the attribute of Malchut, Shechina, is called the letter He, right? So the last letter of God's name, the last He of Yud He Vav He, is considered to be the symbol in Kabbalah of the Shechina, of the most indwelling presence of God within this world, the feminine indwelling presence of God. Right? That's why it's called Malchut, God's kingdom in this world, right? which is God's presence. Now, we have to know that each of the biblical characters within the Torah and within Bible, uh, within Tanakh, is, is related to a certain um, aspect of God's presence, a certain aspect of godliness. Uh, and, and it's in some place along the way of 
uh, uh, being a certain level of manifest within our existence, us being living in the kind of the lowest existence, the existence of the physical, the the the, the least spiritual of exist existences, right? If the top of the existence is the true essence of God, right, which is Ein Sof, the Kabbalists call. There is no end. It is completely infinite. It is nameless. It is beyond all boundaries, right? And then our the lowest existence, the most far away from that, would be us, right? In the, this world of action, right here, because there is very much the most amount of limitation here. We're limited. We're limited by time and space and and those kind of things. Um, and so, the only kind of presence of God within our world is is is, is Shrina. So the different biblical characters, the creative way the Kabbalists read the Torah is, which kind of when you hear of it the first time, kind of rocks your mind, is that they see each of the different characters as um, resembling a different manifestation of God. So most people think that the Torah is a story about God and the Jewish people. The Kabbalists think that the, that the, the, the Torah is a story just about God, right? That it all actually is happening within God, it, right? Uh, so the character King David... In particular, we can obviously go through all the different characters and talk about how they relate to God and the kind of the symbol they play for Kabbalists. But King David, in particular, plays the role and, and is connected to Shekhinah, right? Why? Well, King David was the best king ever, right? And Malkut is the kingship, right? King David is also the king that will return, right? When the Mashiach does come, when the Messiah comes, there'll be a descendant of King David, Right, so that's the kind of the rightful king, and if the the Israelite kingdom is the manifestation of God is, is is symbolically connected to the manifestation of God's presence within this world, and 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 King David is the king of that. David represents the the feminine indwelling presence in this world of godliness, right? So King David is always connected to Malchut Shechina, and in one of his psalms, right, it's believed according to the rabbis that King David wrote the psalms. King David said, I will thank you for you have answered me and you have been my salvation in Psalms 118.21. And according to the Kabbalist, according to the way the um, the Carlina Rebbe is going to read this in a very creative way, right? David says, I will thank you for you have answered me and you have been my salvation. And he explains, for it is known that the attribute of Malchut receives from all the other attributes and illuminates to this world all the good. The Kabbalistic meaning behind this psalm, according to, to the Carlina Rebbe here, is that David, that Malchut, that the presence of God within this world that is around us at all times, the only presence of God that we can actually really experience when our, within our manifest reality, right, is actually... Um, is actually only receives its light and receives its essence from an aspect of God that's higher from it, right? It, everything receives its essence from Ein Sof, the only true essence of God, Ein Sof, that we can't speak about, the completely transcendent manifestation of God. That is the only true manifestation of God. God has to manifest in different ways so that we can be connected with God because there's this gigantic bridge between gigantic gap uh, in temporal reality between the infinite God and the finite man, right? And so kind of Shekhinah and God meets us halfway with the Shekhinah, more than halfway, right? The Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, so the Kabbalah tells us that Malchut has nothing, 
Malchut is empty. Many times the Kabbalists explain Malchut as the moon. The moon only gains, the moon might look very bright in the sky, but where does the moon gain its light from? The sun, right? The moon is really just a rock, but the moon reflects the light of the sun, right? We can't see the sun at night. We only can see the moon, right? But um, we see the light of the sun through the moon. And the illusion is that all we see is the moon. All that we have is the moon, but really the light belongs to something higher than it, to the sun, right? And so the, the allegory is that Shechina presents this light and enables us to experience a little bit of the light of God within our lives, but that light comes from a much higher place, right? And that's what he's explaining here, right? So that's why when you read it back into the Psalms, it's David saying, I will thank you for you have answered me and you have been my salvation, right? It's only you that you have been my salvation. Who is the you? If David now is Malchut, is Shechina here, he's saying to the godliness that is above above him more meaning more transcendent more essential right is that you are my salvation my essence comes from you i have nothing myself everything comes from you as is in a more pietistic sense david bowing over and saying everything belongs to you god i'm nothing without you right everything belongs to you everything comes from you okay um that's the kabbalistic explanation that he's using here for this psalm any questions so far? I'm sure there's probably a lot of questions, but but any particular questions? No? Okay. Good. All right. I'm just checking the comments on Facebook so I don't have to see, the, so in case I have to send the text to anyone. Everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. Okay? Uh, that's the Kabbalistic explanation that he's using here for this song. Good. Any questions so far? Sure. All right. Now, back to the text here. Let me just get it up here. I'm still learning how to use all these digital things here, so uh, <laughs> you can tell I'm still uh, I'm still a little bit of a newbie at this here. Okay, do you do we see the text again? Yeah. Right, we're right here. Good. All right, so I'm gonna just so you, we'll leave it up there for reference right now. And if anyone again wants a copy of this text, let me know. They could review. Um, so the Carliner goes on and says, "Behold, this world was created with a hay." And that this is called the bread of poverty, symbolizing this world, the physical, and I wrote in parentheses, the physical world we live in as opposed to the spiritual world or the world to come. So when God created this world, God created it with a hay. Okay? And this is symbolized by the bread of poverty. Remember, what's the first letter that is in our Haggadah in the Magid? What letter is that? Hey. Hey, right? So that's why he's talking about a hey here. It starts with a hey, the word ha. In Aramaic, it just means this. The first paragraph is in Aramaic, so it's ha. This, as in this bread, this, which starts with ha, a hey. That's why he's talking about a hey here. So behold, this world was created with a hey, and this is called the bread of poverty. Now this goes back to the Kabbalistic understanding that the world is actually made manifest through Hebrew letters. Which might sound crazy. It might sound uh, 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 very, very strange at first thought. Um, but um, basically, what the what what the Kabbalists are saying is that the world is created through sound, right? And how did God um, create the world according to the Tanakh? What do you do? 
He spoke it, right? He spoke it into existence, right? He said, let God, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, right? God spoke it into existence. And that's why the Kabbalists get this, that it's actually God's speech that creates the world. So God created the world with the letter He, and the letter He symbolizes this world, the world we're living in right now, right? This world, Olam Hazeh. And there's always a, uh, a dialectic within um, Jewish texts between, you know, everything basically after rabbinic texts, after the Mishnah and the Talmud, between Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba. Olam Hazeh means this world, and Olam Haba means the world that is coming, or the world that came, or the world that is to be, right? The future world. Um, and so this world is, is actually this physical world we're living in. And as Jews, we're aiming eventually to get to Olam Haba. The world is coming. Either we're trying to build that world, according to some interpretations, although a more traditional interpretation would be the, the world after death, you know, the, kind, of, kind of like Jewish heaven. Um, the, world, the world to come, when everything is perfect. But it also kind of means when everything is going to be perfect in the world, right? When every, we believe as Jews, and I, I've been telling this over and over again, that as Jews, it's so important that we we kind of keep the the near tamid inside of us that there is going to be an olam haba, there is going to be a future world, and I think so many of us in these dark times, we find it so hard to remember that that there's going to be an olam haba, there's going to be a future world that we're going to come out of this crisis and and eventually all crises that will achieve peace uh, between all people. Um, so he says the hay symbolizes this physical world, and he, and he kind of introduces this concept, and we're going to explain it more as we're going to open it up as we go on, and it'll make more sense, hopefully, as we keep going with the comment here. And he says, for this reason, this world was created with the letter hay, for it is like a person that he only eats a slice of bread, not a whole loaf. I need to correct my grammar here. Not a whole loaf. Like someone who is poor. Now this comes from Pesachim. 115b in explaining this is the the Talmud on Pesach the tractate's called Pesachim right and this is specifically the chapter that details the laws and the why of how we do the Pesach Seder and when it gets you know the part in the beginning this this exact part right when the the, the Seder the lead, Seder leader holds up the matzah this used to be my uncle he'd hold up the matzah and say this is the bread of our ancestors right the the poor man's bread and what would he do right after? Does anyone remember? What usually is done right after? When they hold up the matzah, what do they do after it? Does anyone remember? Break it, break it in half. Very good, David. Right? They break it and they break it in half. Usually there's a and the bigger piece is set aside for the afikomen, and the smaller piece is kind of left out. Um, and, and so we do most of the Seder over this kind of little piece of bread. And that's what he means here by a prusa or by a, a slice. And that's what the, the Gemara, the Talmud means here, that um, for it's like a person that he only eats a slice of bread, not a whole loaf. And why would we only be eating a little slice of bread on, on Passover and not a whole loaf? Can anyone explain that? What is the Talmud saying here? What are we supposed to be on Passover? Are we supposed to be rich men? No, we're supposed to be slaves in Egypt. Right, we're supposed to be impoverished. We're supposed to be oppressed. We're supposed to feel that for a second, um, before and, and that's in order, of course, to feel exalted eventually by God's presence and, and how God saves us. Um, and so that's how the Gemara explains this idea that that we are just a uh, uh, that we are eating a, only a slice of bread, not a whole loaf, like someone who is poor who has to eat scraps of bread. 
um, in that regard. And that is and that is reflected by the letter A, which is going to explain the connection to letter A in a little bit. So keep going with me. For this world is called a lowly world, right? So this world, according to the Carlina Rebbe, is symbolized by a slice of bread, not a whole loaf. That we only get a little bit in this world, right? The Talmud at one point says, you know, a man dies with, with um, most of his dreams unaccomplished, right? Uh, you know, the, the connection to God that we achieve in this world is like nothing compared to how we're going to connect to God in Olam in the future times. Right? We live in the most coarse reality that is specifically set apart and separated from God. And you might ask, why, why is this realm separated from God? It's because of God's, it's go, we're, going to, we're going to talk about it more, but it's because of God's will. That's the way God wants it. Right? This world exists as separate from God so that we can have free choice, that we can be sort of at least the illusion of being separate from God, so that we have the ability to make choices between good and bad, right? If God was completely connected to us at all times, there would be no more free will. There would be nothing separate from, from God and God's own essence, right? And, and, and according to the great Kabbalist, this is actually written in, in the introduction to Eitz Chaim, the magnum opus of Rabbi Isaac Loria, of a blessed memory who was one of the greatest Kabbalists of all time said the reason for the creation of the world is so that, that there can be an other because I think as many of us are knowing right now like as human beings we only experience selfhood through a reflection through the other right? I only know who I am through how others define me Right, how others are related to me. Like the only reason I literally have a name is because there are other people that exist in the world. Otherwise, why do I have to have a name? Right, the reason for a name, which sort of defines who I am. My name is is Marcus. Right, uh, right. The only reason I have that name is because so other people can call me and identify me. And and in a deeper sense, I think as human beings, we only know, we only understand ourselves when we relate to others. Right. How can I know if I'm a good person or not? How can I know if I'm a compassionate person if I don't have someone to be compassionate to? If I don't have someone to give to, right? That living in this world actually defines us by relating to other people. And so what was God before there was an other besides God in the world? God was nothing. God was undefined, right? There was no identity. God didn't even, according to this, God was unmanifest according to the... Uh, my at least my interpretation, uh, you know, with with my poverty of knowledge, um, of Rabbi Isaac Luria's ex, uh, blessed memories explanation of why the world was created, right? And for that reason, right, we are um, we we have to be separate. And for that reason, so in order to make us separate from God, right, there has to be a certain distance, a certain disconnect from holiness. We have to fight for holiness in this world. We have to work to, to make this world more holy. It's, it's not just given to us immediately, right? And that's why we live in the, re in the realm that's called the poor man's bread, right? Where it's, we're, we're not really tasting all that there is to taste, right? We live in a coarse reality that, that includes suffering, of course. And now, now it's now, but here's the kind of where, where he shifts here. Even though this is the case, he writes, you see where I am, everybody? Yeah? Every possible spiritual elevation from all worlds 
comes only from this world in which one has to unite all in a simple unity. Right? This is the Hasidic um, kind of take here. And it's also, I think, found within Kabbalah as well, which is an earlier tradition that kind of most of the Hasidic source material comes from. That although we live in such a coarse reality, although we live in a realm that is so distant from God, everything depends upon our reality. That because of God needing to identify self, God's own self, and needing to be separate, it's a job of the human being to cause connection, to cause a connection between God and our own realm, which takes a lot of work. And that connection between our own realm and the realm of godliness and the realm of God enables God to accomplish his experiment, because the experiment has to start off with distance, but in the end, if there's only distance, then how does God know who God is? God needs to connect to us. God needs to discover us. And in discovering and relating to us and our relating to God, right, God manifests God's own identity. God gets to know God's self, right, as we seek to discover him and create that bridge. Right? So we have to kind of do this work to uncover the godliness within our reality. And the Carliner says, although there's like so many infinite worlds, there's the worlds of the angels, and there's the worlds of the archangels, and the spiritual beings, and there's infinite, infinite, infinite worlds that are higher than our world that we live in. We have the zechut, we have the zechus, we have the merit to being able to do the unification in this world to connect all of those worlds together. To connect all those worlds into God, into what the Carlina Rebbe here calls a simple unity. Yichud HaPashut, he says, to unite everything. And this is the actually objective of Kabbalah in general, to do unification, to do Yichud, right? That through the mitzvot of the Torah, that we unify God's essence back with God's self again and enable God to know in a deep sense who God is and therefore manifest, right? To make God manifest in a real way in the temporal world. That's what we do as Jews, Right? And this is why he says that being a human being has with it the potential to do the greatest unification, to connect in the deepest ways with God, and that we can connect the Hasidic kind of chiddish, the, the Hasidic innovation in Judaism is that that doesn't just happen through doing mitzvot, through, through doing, you know, giving tzedakah or wrapping tefillin or keeping Shabbat, but every single thing a Jew does, if he does it with the proper kavanah, with the proper intention, he or she can connect that thing to God back to its original most transcendent point, which is the most elevated thing we can possibly do in this world and God's greatest will for our own creation, right? Is that we connect back to God again. And that's what the Carliner, I think, and in, in, again, in the poverty of my own opinion, obviously he could have meant something completely different and I could be completely confused, right? But that's, I, th I, I think, what the Carliner here... I at least believe my interpretation of what the Carliner is saying here, right? Every possible spiritual elevation from all worlds comes only from this world, in which one has to unite all in a simple unity. And he continues, and for this reason, this world was created with a hey, right? And this is what he, again, relates this letter hey, as we're going to find out in a second. Now, I want to pause here for a second and say that many of us are get depressed and gets, and, and, and feel sadness that we live in such a coarse reality, you know, where there's where there's a plague around us right now that enables that is not enabling us to leave our houses, 
right? That I can't teach you in, in live and in, in person. Um, but um, many of us just become sad at this and, 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 and uh, you know, say, why can't the world be better? But what the, what the Hasidic reality takes and says, we need this world to be coarse. We need to suffer. We need, the, we need this world to be hard. So that, because through that hardness, through that difficulty, and through finding God, through the smog, through the smoke, through the covering, through the hardness of, of this life, that we can actually, that, that when we actually uncover and find God, when we find the fruit that is hidden inside the nut, when we go beneath the peel and find the fruit inside, that is the only thing that can make manifest God in a real sense. And that is the deepest, most joyous thing we can possibly do in the world. And that can only be accomplished in our imperfect course reality. If the world was perfect, it would be impossible. It would be impossible to connect to God. And I think that's that's uh, the, one of the really deep truths of, of Kabbalah and Hasidut, that, that we need to accept the world being coarse, and on the other hand, work to connect it back to God again. Right, that we can only accomplish our spiritual mission as Jews and as human beings in the coarse reality where we have to choose between good and bad. If there was only good in the world, then we didn't have to. We couldn't choose bad. There would be no longer a point to our existence any longer. Right, that's the whole entire point: to choose good, to choose godliness, and in doing so, we unite all worlds together, all the infinite worlds together, according to Kabbalah, according to Karolina Rebbe, and according to Hasidus. To continue on, and this world was created the Hafer before it was before, but for before it was not complete. Before it was not complete. Okay, he's going to explain. It was only a slice, meaning a half. Right? Remember, the, he's referring back to the matzah here. It's only half as well, a half piece of matzah. And for this reason, the ha, the letters he and aleph together in ha lachmaanya. Right? I bolded it. Right? Ha lachmaanya. Right, so you might so we explain the hay. The hay represents kind of this half reality, this poor man's bread, right? Uh, is needs to be connected to what is connected to the aleph. So what's the second word letter in this? Hey, ha, aleph, right? Now we have to understand the symbolism of what the aleph, right? He says we connect hay to aleph, is with an aleph. Uh, as it is known, that for the letter hey, there are three ways of writing the sound of the letter out phonetically in Hebrew. Now, Kabbalah loves to play with letters. Loves to play with letters. So let's go back to our, our digital blackboard here and write this out a little bit. So there are, in Kabbalah, there are three ways of, 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 of vocalizing <coughs> uh, phonetically and writing it in Hebrew, the letter hey. Right, so if I say hey, Right, that's what in English we write out H E Y, or maybe we'd write. So let's just do this in English first. It makes more sense, right? If we, for because we're mostly English speakers here, right? Hey, right. If I was to phonetically write out Hey, does everyone see what I'm writing? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I could write out Hey, right, like Hey man, right. Or I could write out Hey, right, like Hey in a in a in a barn. Or I can maybe even write out Hey, right. Right? Maybe there's even more I'm not even thinking of. Right? That's what we would do in English, right? Now, of course everything's in Hebrew because it's it's in Judaism that was the language that uh, that's the holy language and the Kabbalists believe that's kind of with those letters the world was created. So, um, the the three 
phonetic manifestations of this um, of of the letter hey of phonetically writing it out R in Kabbalah, hey Aleph, hey Yud, right, and finally hey hey, right. So if you imagine a tsere under each of these, those who've can vocalize Hebrew, right, that's you would say if there's a tsere under each of these, the two dots, right, we would pronounce this as he. Right, they would all be basically pronounced the same, right? He, hey, 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 and hey, but it's written with three different consonants. And the Kabbalists love to play with this. In Kabbalah, that's called miluim, miluim. Okay, the three different phonetic ways of writing this out. It's called a. These are the three milui of 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 hey, the letter hey, right? The three ways of vocalizing. So. Does anyone recognize any of these from our Haggadah text? Right, look back to that. Right, looks similar, right? So that is ha, ha. So he's saying the reason why that that vocalization of hey, because really what, what he's saying is the Haggadah just starts with hey, right? Because it starts with this broken world that we live in, right? That's where the, the Seder starts. The broke the, this broken world, right? Ha, hey, right? Um, but specifically, it starts out with it connected to the letter Aleph, which is the second world. It didn't choose this manifestation. It didn't choose this manifestation of hey. It only chose this milui, this manifestation of the phonetically phonetic pronunciation of hey, which is hey Aleph. Okay, and he says so the reason why begins with the word ha with an Aleph. This is that one needs to unite this world, which is called impoverished, into a simple unity, which is symbolized by the letter Aleph. Now he writes that first, and now he's going to explain it in the next paragraph, why the Aleph symbolizes that. Um, so he writes, this world is called impoverished. Oh, I thought, sorry, my, my fault here. I thought he explains this here, um, but, but um, oh, here, he does explain it. I'm sorry, I just read it myself. I'm sorry about that. Right, which is symbolized by the letter Aleph. So, what is the what is the the number, um, what is the number that Aleph represents? Every letter of the Hebrew alphabet represents a number. It's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So, which number does it represent? One. One. Good. So it's one. Right. So the hey, which is this imperfect world, according to the symbol of which again he still hasn't explained yet. No, no, the Hasidic drash they don't write it in the order that might have been the, the perfect way to teach it. Um, but you know we like to preserve his order because that's the way he actually said it. Um, so we want to want to preserve the order. So the hey really hasn't been explained of why it represents this impoverished world, but at least the, we know according to him it does is connected to the aleph, which means one. So Kabbalistically, the Hasidic rabbis will interpret that, that this imperfect world has to unite, be united into one, has to be unified, right? So that kind of in that one hey aleph represents everything that he spoke about so far. Okay, now why is this world called impoverished? Because everything which is in this world only emits what it receives. Okay, I'm going to read that again. This world is called impoverished because everything which in this world only emits what it receives, right? So in this world, everything we see and everything we experience is a manifestation of something that is higher than it and from a spiritual world, okay? For example, let me give you an example, okay? So that this we can, we can kind of touch this here. So if you look at a light bulb, right, you might see the light 
inside the light bulb, right? And when you're looking at a light bulb and you're saying light is in the light bulb, right? That's where the light is. It's in, in the light bulb, fine. But is that really where the electric for the light bulb, the, the energy, the vitality from the light bulb comes from? No, where does it come from? Right, it comes from the power plant, right? It comes from, we used to call it LICO growing up in Long Island. It comes from, it used to come from uh, the, the power plant company, right? The power company. What, what is it here in, in Orange County, New York? It's uh, Orange, uh, Orange and Rockland. It comes from Orange and Rockland, right? Um, so we're looking at something that really is manifest within a power plant that's very, very far away, um, in which the, the energy is, is much more, almost infinite, compared to the energy that is within a light bulb, compared to the energy in a power plant. It's almost uncomparable. And all the more so to our our existence here. Everything we see around us is like a light bulb, right? It's not the actual source of where these things come from. They're actually all emanated from something very distant and from a, a, a spiritual source, all coming from God, right? That everything is constantly being emanated from God, right? And this is the kind of the Kabbalistic Kiddush, one of the another Kabbalistic innovation, is that the world wasn't created once, but it's being mechadesh bechol yom tamid, that God is constantly recreating the world again and again, right? And that 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 word that 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 recreation at every moment is is the way the world is created. And and what is this similar to, right? There's actually a, a, a beautiful um, midrash about this that that says you know God creates differently than the way man creates. Man creates a craftsman. For that matter, creates a chair, right? He creates a, a a chair like you're seeing today, and and you know he builds it. He might know a lot about wood. He might have had to cut it down from somewhere and get the wood from a certain place. But then he puts it together. He he glues it together, and then he sells it, right? He gives or he gives it to somebody. And is the chair a part of the person any longer? No, right? I could create a chair if I was at all artistic. Right, I could create a chair, and I would never know where it went. Right, I could it could go very far away from me and, and be very disconnected from me. Um, but God doesn't create this way. Everything God creates, God is connected to at all times. And the only reason it continues to exist is because because God chooses to continue to speak it into existence, to continually emanate it into existence. God's creation in our world is more similar to a is is more similar to electric, which is why I always go back to that 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 um, kind of allegory because it, it works for us moderns right in this world, right? Um, so uh, right when you might look at a light bulb and it might look like it's really there, right? But the second the power plant shuts down, what happens to the light? It goes off, right? It goes immediately off. The illusion is that it's constantly going to be lit because the light is is of itself. It just exists in the world. But we all know that the it's connected. The reason it's on is because it's connected to the lawn. It's connected to the power plant, and that's the only reason it's made manifests. So the Kabbalists will say that that is true. It's almost like everything is electricity in this world. Everything is actually energy, which now physicians are saying. You know, not physicians. Uh, people who are uh, uh, do physics and and science and that kind of stuff actually say that the world really consists of energy, of, of particles that are vibrating very quickly, right? And, and everything is energy all the time, right? And what we believe in, in, in Judaism and in, in Kabbalah is it's that God is the source of this energy, 
that everything, that God is behind everything, speaking the world into existence, bringing it into manifestation at every moment, choosing for the world to be created. And at any moment, God could just be like, and everything's gone. Right? Which is why we have to be thankful at every moment that the world exists. So everything that we see in this world, although we think it's so solid, when we bang on a table that this table really feels like it's here, right? When I look at a light bulb, it really looks like it's there, right? We know in the essential matter in Kabbalah is that truly that it only is its true sources in God and that God speaks it into existence at every single moment, okay? That God speaks it into existence at every single moment, constantly chooses to admit it. And which is why the Carlina Rebbe says, this world is called impoverished. Because everything which is in the world only admits what it receives. Okay? Which is very, um, exactly what he's saying, right? Why is it impoverished? Because it has nothing of its own. Everything within this world is borrowed. It all comes from God. Right? This world actually is pictured as a poor person, has to beg for its food, from, and, you know, it only comes from a foreign source. It comes, it comes from God. It receives from what is called bread. And so now it's going on to the second word in this. In We've only gotten to the second word of the Haggadah so far. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it's uh, very deep, very deep. We're, we're going into the deep end here. I hope you knew that, right? Lachma. Lachma is the Aramaic word for bread. Lechem in Hebrew. Lachma in Aramaic. Right, you can see the, the, the root of bread here is lechem, right? Lamed chet mem, but the aleph is kind of added on in the Aramaic version of the word. So, th and this is this bread. So, now he's going to tell us the significance of why, why bread is in here. Why, why is lachma the next word? Right, it receives from what is called bread, which is spelled lamed chet mem aleph, as is known that the word equals in gematria the word constellation. Um, so Constellation is is a is in Hebrew. It might sound unfamiliar. What we believe in constellations in in Judaism, right? What is constellation? You know the word for what the word for constellation is in Hebrew. To anyone? Mazal, mazal. Similar to we in 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 American Hebrew we say mazal. So actually, when we're saying mazal tov, we're really saying. I hope this happened under a good constellation. It doesn't actually mean good luck, right? We say good luck, but it actually means I hope this happened under a good constellation, right? That's that's what it probably the shot the simple meaning of that is. So mazal, and in Aramaic mazla, is 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 the word for constellation. And mazla and lachma in Aramaic, and in Hebrew of course, equals seventy five. Or 74 in Hebrew, but here in Aramaic, so 75. And, and this is what's called gematria, right? This word here, right? Gematria, right? Gematria is is when you, you, could, you take a Hebrew word and you figure out what numerical value each letter has in its relation to the first letter, and then you add them together, right? Um, so here we see that Lamed is the 13th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's 13. Any, I see. I see. Ron's here. He's probably good at math, right? Uh, so, right. Lamed thirteen, right? Yes. Plus Chet is is the number eight, right? It's the eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Mem is the fourteenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's actually in 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 uh, in uh, in gematria that would be forty, 
right after after it goes one two three four five six seven eight nine ten and then it goes to twenty thirty forty Hebrew alphabet so this would be forty and this is one so what's thirty plus eight plus forty plus one Seventy-nine. Wait a second. Wait a second. We're good at math. <laughs> I've lost. I've lost the math for a second here. Um, Me too. Was equal seventy-five before? How am I? What am I doing wrong? Mem zine thirty-seven, thirty seventy-eight. So it really equals seventy-eight. I don't know why I wrote. Maybe I wrote the wrong number here. It's my mistake. It's not the Carlina Rebbe's mistake. It's my mistake. I'll have to fix it in the translation. But regardless, they equal the same. You know, 40, so 70, 77, 78, right? And this also is 78. They both equal, I'm going to say 78 here. Sorry, I wrote the wrong number in. Oh, now we're really getting where it is. Yeah, I was in Hebrew. Sorry about that. 78, right? So they actually both equal 78. And in, in Kabbalah, when, when a Hebrew's numeric, when, it, when a word's numerical, it, and, and Kabbalah is very creative with this, right? When, when a numerical value of, of a Hebrew word is the same as, the, um, as, as, as another word, they have some kind of relationship to each other. So bread and constellation here have the same numerical value of 78. And he, and he says the relationship between these things is, For in truth, this world in general receives from the aspect of Ain, nothingness. Right? Nothingness. Ain. And that's what we... The most true word we can call God in God's absolute existence is nothingness, which is really nothing. We can't call God anything because God is beyond names. God is beyond everything. Right? But as human beings, we want to relate to God. So we need to come up with something. So we say God is Ain. God is nothingness. God is beyond all existence, which is defined by space and time according to Kant. Right? Which is called constellation. And wisdom gives life to its master, right? Meaning that just as as human beings, there was a belief that we get all our energy from the constellations in the sky. Obviously, I don't think Judaism believes um, that for Jews at least, right? But just as people would believe that that everything comes from constellations and what happens in constellations, and and the, the, the energy from this world, everything comes from the constellations. So too, as human beings, where do we get our energy from? It's called bread right food and and rabbis believe that bread was kind of like the essential food right bread so the bread of this of this existence is godliness right that 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 really how this world exists is based on what's called of of ein sof of godliness now right and that's how this world exists that's why this world is impoverished and we can only exist by receiving that bread right and since it is a receiver, it is called bread of poverty, right? Because do, does this we actually kind of have to, you know, we, we get given this bread from another source. We don't gain this bread based on our own merits, right? But God gives, we don't have any bread of our own. We don't own the bread, right? In Judaism, we don't own the world around us. It's God's world, right? Lashem haaretz umloah, as the psalm says, to, to God owns all the world in its fullness, as as the as as Bob Marley and the Rastafarians used to say, uh, right? God's God owns everything. We'd actually in Judaism we don't really own everything. Our own our owning things is illusion. Who does it really belong to? Well, everything belongs to God, right? Because God is constantly manifesting it into creation, as we spoke about before. 
So we get, we only gain something or we only utilize something through what's called lechem or or from ein sof. Right? We only get our bread from godliness. Right? We are like the beggar, each and every one of us. We are like the poor man living in an impoverished world and which is distanced from God. Right, and we only get what God gives us, what God, what we can receive, and what we can we can dig up, and we can connect to God through the things that block us off from connecting to that. And since it is a receiver, it's called bread of poverty. After it receives from the aspect which is called bread, every Jewish person needs to unite the all of the attributes. I'm sorry, all of the attributes to God's simple will. Right, so the idea as 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 a Jewish person, we take this this godliness that that we discover as human beings when we do mitzvot or we do things for holy purposes or we choose good. Right, when we discover the godliness and we realize that in truth everything and we have faith that in truth everything under its surface is really sourced in God, and when we do our life knowing that everything is sourced in God, when we eat our dinner and our lunch. And we know that the reason that, that what this food really is, is godliness, right? That, that, that the only reason that this hamburger exists is because God chooses to manifest it at this very moment. And the reason that we're eating it is for a holy purpose, to serve God, to discover God, to dis- try to discover God through eating, through the act of eating, what the Kabbalists and the great Hasidic masters would be called to do a unification, to unify God and God's presence within that, that, that bread, within that food, within that everyday life, right? That's us gaining that bread. And the Jewish person, when he does that, according to Kabbalah, unites everything, all parts of God, into one's God's, into God's simple will, which is the will for manifestation, the, the will to exist, the will to be, right? To, to be manifest, to be an identity, right? Which we create through the unification of, of, of of every aspect of our life, according as long as we do it with intention. Right now, I'm going to take the last five minutes. We'll, we'll in our next class next Thursday, we'll we'll finish this piece. Um, I knew we wouldn't finish it because it's a it's a this this is a rather long piece here. Um, just to kind of sum up what we've learned so far, um, and we really haven't. <laughs> it's funny we really haven't learned why the hay. Why is the hay the poor man's bread? And don't worry, we're going to get to it in this very beautiful, creative way. He's going to talk about. Um, and he only he only really explains it at the end. It's very very funny in that regard. He only really explains the hay at the end, and and we'll, we'll talk about it. But I think one of the the nafkamin is one thing we can really take away from this very um, deep writing is one one obviously we could take away the depth of our tradition about how deep Judaism is, um, how uh, you know every single word, every single letter contains secrets upon secrets upon secrets. But from at least the spiritual teachings of the actual teaching itself, right, is the idea that as, as we enter Passover and prepare ourselves for Passover, it needs to start from the realization that we are impoverished, that we are living in a coarse world, we're living in a coarse reality, we're living in an unredeemed reality, that we shouldn't be surprised when we see that the world is unredeemed. We shouldn't be surprised when we know, when we see that there is suffering in this world. Right? That this world is not supposed to be an easy place. Right? And that there, there's a purpose to that. The purpose being that we need to start separate from God. We need to be a separate identity to God so that God can, can get to know himself. 
right? By us choosing good, by us choosing to do mitzvot, by us choosing to see the godliness within this darkness in which we live, to try to to work and do the spiritual inner work to find godliness in, in the places that seem blocked off, we can actually fulfill God's will in this world in a more powerful way than even the angels could and any any other creature can as human beings. We have this potential as human beings because, because of the very fact that we suffer, because of the very fact that the world is hard in the first place. Paradoxically, that gives us the greatest potential as human beings. Right? The point of everything is to connect connect all this separation and the disconnection and the hardship we feel in this world to the simple unity of God. And that we as human beings have the ability to unite everything together. So just as we feel, and, and, and of course what the Seder is going to be, the Seder night is going to be about, is going to be the spiritual work of uniting our life within God, of connecting the Jewish people once again to their maker, in realizing the true reality of the world around us. And with that kavanah, with that intention in the darkness that we're all sitting in right now with this coronavirus outbreak, all sitting in our houses, realizing the suffering and realizing the poverty of the world around us, where everything can go in one second and be gone, we realize that everything is manifest within God. Everything is up to God. And it's up to us. Our spiritual mission as Jews is to discover the godliness even within the darkness, even within the oppression, even within the suffering, even within the hardship, and that God is discoverable at every instance because God is the source of all things. That within all things, behind all things is godliness. If we search hard enough, if we look hard enough, and we do that spiritual work with intention, we can find the godliness within what the Kabbalists call the klipa, or the darkness, or the husks of the reality we see around us. Bezrat Hashem, we accomplish that just a little bit in our life, and hopefully accomplish that as we enter as poor people, as slaves, as we get ready for the Passover Seder coming very soon in about 20 days my friends so everyone stay safe stay healthy um, and if you have any questions and you want a copy of this text um, please let me know and i can get it to you i hope you enjoy this we'll be on again next thursday at 3 p.m and if anyone has any comments or any questions uh, please let me know i'll talk to you soon everybody stay safe and stay healthy Bye. thank you of course and you want a copy of this text um, please let me know and I can get it to you I hope you enjoy this we'll be on again next Thursday at 3pm and if anyone has any comments or any questions uh, please let me know I'll talk to you soon everybody stay safe and stay healthy bye bye thank you yeah, of course <laughs>